Merry Christmas. No, it's a couple of days early, but we can still wish each other Merry Christmas, right? Um, I want to let you know, today in preaching this sermon, I, I pray that it would be just like the songs that we sang. Uh, when you think about those, some of those Christmas songs, they start out like, I don't want to say dreary, but they start slow and, and dark, and then there comes this point of rejoicing. And think of singing those Christmas carols and then coming with that last song of, The Lord is Our Salvation. Um, it's, it's my prayer that today, uh, as I preach, that we would begin at a dark place and end with the glory of God and what an amazing Savior we have. So uh, I love Christmas time. One of the specific things I love about Christmas time is Advent. And for those of you that might not be familiar with what that is, that's the days leading up to Christmas. Uh, for the last five or six years, I've made it a point to find an Advent book to go through with, uh, with my family. And a couple of those years, I even shared online some of the things that we'd been learning as a family and some of the things that had challenged me. This year, I've been reading uh, from an Advent book called, um, and I've been sharing this on, on uh, church with the church family, Come Let Us Adore Him. And this is a, an Advent book uh, that I've been, uh, we've been reading as a family. And uh, I wanted to just share a part of um, the devotional that Paul Tripp wrote for day eight as we open. The shepherds came to worship the Prince of Peace who came to finally bridge the separation between God and mankind and purchase peace. Now, that's kind of the opening statement that he gives, and then he gets into the, the devotional part. And so just uh, listen as I read this. It says, we've all had weird, awkward moments with others, and the holidays provide a lot of opportunities for weird and awkward moments. If, if you're anything like my family, that's, that's the case. You probably hate those moments as much as I do. Now, I want you to think today about the most horribly awkward moment in human history. This one wasn't a minor moment of embarrassment, and it will never morph into some humorous story you tell years later. Every time I read this account, I want to weep. Every time I think about it, I am hit with the painful thought that it really did happen and that we still see its results in our lives today. When you read it, you better know that this is not the way things were meant to be, or you will never understand the biblical story. And Christmas will never make the kind of sense that it should make to all of us. Genesis 3, 8 through 13. When the disobedient Adam and Eve are confronted by God, God was walking through the garden, and rather than being filled with awe and joy at the thought of his presence, Adam and Eve were filled with fear. They had been designed for intimate, moment-by-moment, -moment, loving, worshipful communion with him. They were made to delight in God and he in them. Their fears tell us that something has gone drastically wrong. Sin has broken the most important relationship in all of life. The relationship between people and their creator. This separation alters everything in each of our lives. That's why it's so wonderful and encouraging to know that Jesus came to earth to be the Prince of Peace. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he would make peace between God and us. By his righteous life, he would earn our acceptance with God and purchase our right to be God's children. It is this vertical peace that then allows us to live in peace and harmony with one another. The fearful awkwardness between us and God has been forever broken by Jesus. 
so we can run with confidence into God's presence and know that he will never turn us away. The title of this morning's message is A Very Necessary Gift. And as we think about that, that very necessary gift that we have in Jesus, like I said, it's my prayer. Um, We're going to read the Christmas story, and then we're going to jump to a passage that kind of goes behind the scenes of why Christmas has to be. It had to happen. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for all that we have in you. God, I want to pray that you would uh, remind us, not just this morning, not just on Christmas Day, but each and every day, of the great gift that we have in Christ. And Lord, as we begin this, this message and think about our, our state without Jesus, our desperate need for a Savior, our broken relationship with you, I pray that as we um, look at your word, as we look at what you have provided for us in Jesus and because of Jesus, we would be worshipful. You would remind us this holiday season with Christmas and the celebration of Jesus' birth and the start of a new uh, year coming soon, that our lives need to be about you and your glory. And God, I just want to pray all of these things in the precious, amazing, life-changing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so it's the Christmas, uh, the Sunday before Christmas, so we have to go to certain passages. So everyone take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. And like I said, we're going to read through this very familiar story. And as you're turning there, I'm going to highlight a couple of passages, parts of it, as specifically as I read. But I want to let you know, as you're turning there and, and finding the passage, um, the kids' uh, ministry, if your kids are downstairs, they have, uh, the, uh, they're doing a very similar message. Um, and I'm actually going to point out a couple of things that we're doing here that they're doing down there that you could talk to your kids about after the service or leading up to Christmas. Um, so just to, to be aware of that. Okay. So let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now listen to this this next part here. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for that, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away 
from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And listen to this next part carefully. And when they, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You think about that. You think about this, the, um, the angels coming to the, the angel coming to the shepherd, singing this choir of angels being there, bringing glory to God. And then they go and tell the message and the people hear the message and they wonder what they're talking about. And Mary is treasuring this in her heart. And it's a birth of a baby. And obviously a birth of a baby is a special thing. But there is something very, 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 very special and very unique about the birth of this baby. This baby came to save the world. But the question is, from, from what? Why? The angels delivered an amazing message to the shepherds. They, they made known what the, the, the shepherds had made known what the angels said. Uh, everybody wondered about it. But why? Why was this baby so important? This Bible narrative of Jesus' birth is probably one that you expect to hear in a, in a Christmas message. The passage that we're going to be focusing on this morning, though, is not that Luke passage. It is uh, Romans 5, 12 through 19. And in preaching this passage, I want you to understand this. I'm not trying to um, be uh, extra creative or throw your Christmas traditions into some kind of tailspin. Um, my prayer is that this morning's message will remind each of us what a very necessary gift from God Jesus Christ is. At this time of year, we celebrate the arrival of the greatest, most necessary gift. Here are some descriptions that uh, different commentaries and writers say about this passage, just to kind of give you a little bit of context here. Uh, it is a complex, enigmatic. Uh, a couple of writers say that it is one of the most difficult sections of Romans and the entire New Testament for that matter. Two different writers suggest that this, this may be one of the passages that Peter is referring to in 2 Peter 3.16 when he writes, In Paul's letter, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So, why pick a passage with a description like that to preach on a Sunday morning before Christmas? When there are guests here, when there are people that may not be as familiar with the Bible, when there are people expecting to hear about baby Jesus in a manger. The passage is difficult. And on the other hand, writers and commentators agree, the truths themselves are wonderfully simple and clear when accepted in humble faith as God's word. This morning, as we do every morning, I want to make much of Jesus Christ. Um, in the words I'm preaching, in the ways you're challenged to live, it's my prayer that you will know and live out the truth of the gospel. That the one very necessary gift we need is Jesus. We need a growing relationship with the one who was born in the manger, lived a perfect life, died a painful, brutal death on a cross, 
and three days later rose from the dead. Christmas is oftentimes focused on the baby in the manger. But we need to remember that that baby, God in the flesh, came to earth not to be a baby in a manger, but to grow one day and be a man who died on the cross, innocent for our sins. Before we look at Romans 5, I want to share just a 90-second video with you uh, that is a little unexpected in a Christmas service, but I want to, I want to give you some, some context here. It's a video of an 18-year-old girl who understands what a great gift we have in Jesus. I'm not showing this video to pull on your emotional heartstrings this holiday season, uh, even though it is an emotional video. I am showing it because I believe it is a real-life, raw example of someone who truly understands how necessary Jesus is. The situation around this video is, on December 3rd, 2021, uh, a 37-year-old man and an alleged girlfriend were confronted by the man's wife in a grocery store parking lot in Mesquite, Texas. A domestic disturbance ensued. The Mesquite Police Department was called. The man ended up shooting police officer Richard Houston in the chest before shooting himself in the head. Officer Houston, a 46-year-old husband and father of three who had been with the Mesquite Police Department for 21 years, died. The shooter survived. The Houston's oldest child, Shelby, age 18, eulogized her father at his memorial service, held at Lake Point Church in Rockwell, Texas. We're going to watch this clip, and I want you to keep in mind that idea of how necessary Jesus is as you hear her words. And think about Christmas and what God had, has done in sending his son to die for us because of our sin. So I'm going to play that clip. I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father. But I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live. But when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road, I'd get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him. Not to yell at him. Not to scold him. Simply to tell him about Jesus. That's a hard passage, a hard video clip to watch. And thinking about the, the comfortability of Christmas and, and the love and joy of family. But every single time I've watched that clip, it moves me. Her tears, sniffles, all of that is moving. 
But that's not the biggest thing. What moves me the most every single time is the priority of Jesus Christ in this girl's life. More than revenge, more than justice, more than anger, more than the shooter's rehabilitation. What does she want? The opportunity to tell this man who killed her father, who sinned against God and against her and her family. She wants the opportunity to tell him about Jesus. If that doesn't communicate in a, in a real life sense that Jesus is a very necessary, the most necessary gift, I don't know what else in this life does. Think about that. There is grace. I cannot help but think that it is because she has experienced that grace herself and that she has seen that grace in her father and in her family and she saw it and heard it from her dad. We're going to look at this abundant grace that comes in the midst of sin and darkness on a Christmas morning. So if you can... uh, Take your Bibles there that you have and open to Luke and go to Romans 5. Romans 5, verse uh, 12. Let's, um, Let's read this passage. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the, word bef- in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. When you look up there at the the screen, and I don't want those who were here on Wednesday night to answer this question. Free gift. Why do you think it's underlined five times there? Throw out some, some reasons. Why do you think it would be underlined five times? Wanted you to see it? What else? Anything else? I'm going to give you the deep theological reason for it. My spell check app underlined it. It was underlined five times in, in the text. It's, it's there and it's underlined five times. And when, when I looked at it, it said this. These are, these are the error messages that it had. One of the air messages was, more concise language would be easier for your readers. Another air message that was there was, it's a redundancy air. Do you know what that means? What gift isn't free, correct? The, the idea of a gift is you get it free. 
So when you're typing or writing, why put free gift? The Bible wasn't very grammatically correct in this. That's not the case. It was more than correct. Because if you think about the gifts that we give and get this Christmas time, how many of you are expecting to get a gift of some sort? Wow, this is a pretty pathetic group. Nobody seems like is going to get a gift. How many of you are expecting to get a gift of some kind over this, this season? How many of you are expecting it? Now we're going to see who's, who's really spiritual. How many of you are expecting to give a really good gift to someone else this time? Oh, a lot of people confidently raising their hands. I see my daughter over there. I, I'm wondering what that is. So, um, but think about the gifts that we usually give. There's usually some kind of connection with them, a work relationship, a job well done, some kind of family connection, a good friend. But this free gift in this passage is so much different than the gifts that we give. It's given by God completely apart from our merits, our good work, or who we are. There is uh, there's nothing um, that we have done good to receive this gift. A couple of months ago, I preached a passage from Romans 5, the previous passage, 1 through 11. And we, we memorized Romans uh, 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still, do you remember? While we were still sinners, God, Christ died for us. And then uh, verse 10 says this. For if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This idea of this free gift is, is amazing and um, it's just, it's so much more than any gift that we can give. So we're going to look at each of these passages, um, each, each part of this passage a little bit here. And so if we can, if you want to focus your attention on uh, 12 through 14, it's a dark passage. In this passage here, sins come into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin is a serious problem. It's a serious problem. When we talk about the sin of one man, Adam, you may think of it as a trip and a fall. You may kind of think of it as a kind of, you made a mistake. This is not that kind of fall. You know, kind of walking across the stage and you trip. This is like you're in an elevated state and you fall off of a cliff type of fall. Adam was in an elevated special relationship with God, and that was dramatically changed. So why is this free gift necessary? This free gift is so necessary because of what it saves us from. It saves us from sin that is spread to all men. And now, I, I, wanna, I want you to think about this. Um, in that same devotional book, um, Paul Tripp talks about uh, what sin is, and he kind of talks about five words, and I just want to share those with you this morning. Um, talks about the brokenness of sin which every human being shares because of this one man. And these are the words that he talks about. He talks about uh, separation, inability, delusion, judgment, hopelessness. There's not a lot of brightness in there. There's not a lot of Christmas cheer in there. Because of sin, we all exist in a from birth state of separation from God, whose glory we were created and in whose fellowship, uh, relationship, fellowship we were meant to live in. Because of sin, we were rendered unable. We are unable to save ourselves. Because of sin, we are delusional. We think that we know ourselves well enough, but we don't. We assess that we are more righteous than we are. 
We think that we can do it in our own strength. Because of sin, we are placed under God's judgment. And with all of that, because of sin, we are hopeless. 13 and 14 are challenging uh, passages that need a a lot of explanation, but I want want you to, to understand this part. 13 and 14 explain, once again, how bad sin is. They talk about the fact that um, the the darkness of sin. Sin was in the world before Moses received the law. What's what's Paul trying to show here with this? At the time between Adam and Moses, we know there was sin. But why make make it these two points? If you think about it, the sin of Adam was God gave a direct command to him. Adam and Eve were supposed to do this. And then there were really no direct commands recorded until Moses and the law. And what Paul is doing in this this point is, he goes, Adam received a direct command from God himself and broke that command. Moses received the Ten Commandments and even more laws, and the Israelites broke them. So then he kind of goes into this argument of, so what about that time period before? There was no law to be broken, so there was no sin, right? There there was sin. There was was sin that was was going on there. Uh, The sin... um, there was sin in the Old Testament. It shows that. The, the kids this morning are reviewing what we've been doing the last couple of months in class. Um, was, there sin, was there a sin problem in Genesis 4? If you're familiar with the stories, I'm just going to give you a quick overview of them. Yes, Cain and Abel, killing someone. Was there a sin problem in Genesis 6? Yes, evil intentions of the people, uh, evil thoughts and intentions, which brought the flood. Was there evil in Genesis 11? Yes. People making a name for themselves instead of God, being more concerned about themselves than God, the Tower of Babel, which resulted in everyone being uh, sent to the far reaches of the earth and languages being separated, uh, differentiated and things like that. Was there a sin problem in the book of Job? Yes. The problem here is death and suffering in this world because of sin. There was sin. Verses 13 and 14 tell us there was sin. And the idea that this 13 and 14 helps us to see is from the time of Adam to the time of now. All of us, all of us have a sin problem. Even in time periods that you might look at and say, well, there was no law to be broken. Yes, there was still sin. And you know why there was sin? Because we are sinners. Sin isn't what makes you a sinner. The idea is... um, we sin because we're sinners. We sin because we have, we have a, a sinful nature. Each and every one of us. Each and every one of us in this room needs a savior. And that's dark. That's, that's hard. Many of you will see that this Christmas season. Give it time. Gifts are given. Wonderful Christmas memories are shared as a family. And then no sharing happens. You've seen it. You know, the red face, yelling, tears streaming down the face. And I'm just talking about the parents right there. That's, but, but you think about that. You didn't get what you wanted. You're upset. You want what they have. It, it, it happens. How many parents in here have taught your kids to act like that? You've sat down and said, hey, here's how to be a selfish person on Christmas morning. I want to I I do a little lesson with you. Nobody's taught that. We do that. That's just who we are. We are all sinful uh, people in need of a savior. But even with this sin, our sinful actions, our sin nature, 
there is hope. And so if you go ahead to the, the, the next slide there, there's this free gift. This free gift that is not like the trespass. Verse 15 says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of, by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. I, I love this verse. I mean, if you, if you look at this verse and you look at the words in here, for if many died through one man's trespass, note this, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Much more, free gift, abounded. That, that communicates the idea of a lot. As opposed to the darkness, there is something that is so much greater that we have in Christ. If it's bad, if it's as bad as we've been talking about for all of humanity because of Adam's sin, his deviation from God's uh, commands, how much more the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of Jesus Christ are overflowing for all those who are saved by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did so much more than just hit reset. You understand that? It's not like, it's not like Jesus Christ um, in his life, death, and resurrection put believers back to the state of Adam. It's like, okay, here you are, you fell, I'm going to put you back here. We have so much more than even what Adam had at the garden. Jesus Christ is the way those who've been justified can share in the righteousness and the glory of God. The free gift is so very necessary because of what it gives us. It saves us from our sin and it gives us the righteousness of God. One man's sin results in condemnation. So we've been reminded and because of one man's sin, we're declared sinful. But after the many sins, the free gift uh, it results in justification. Just making sure here. Yeah, okay, so we're looking at verse 16 here. So when you think about that, the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following trespass was condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So this idea is with the, the uh, many trespasses that are forgiven, that are justified through Jesus Christ. We're all sinners, but the free gift is so very necessary for another reason. It redeems all sin of all those who repent of their sin and put their trust in Jesus. You catch that in verse 16? For the, um, the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following all of our sins brought justification. We're justified in Jesus Christ of all of our sins. We're forgiven of our sins. We're given the righteousness of God. And the extent of that is all of our sins are forgiven. All of them. When you think about this idea, it should bring us joy in thinking about what an amazing gift we have. And then we look at the, 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 last, uh, the last verse uh, on this page, finally in verse 17, we see that because of one man's trespass, death reigned. We see the reign of physical death as we look around our world. You see it. You see the effects of, of, of death. We see sickness. We see disease. We see death. We see uh, the reign of spiritual death as we look around our world and we see selfishness. 
We see greed, we see lying, and we see so much more. But those who receive the abundant, abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness in Christ have abundant eternal life. We have victory over death. We don't have to fear death. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a pastor, he, he wrote this. He says, you have victory over death before you have even met it. We have victory over death. We are more than conquerors. As you think about the, uh, this, the different things that we have here today that we've talked about, this, uh, this amazing gift, this great gift that we have, I want to encourage you to be thinking about these things, talking with them about your uh, with your families, um, remembering them uh, at, uh, at, at Christmas time, but also year-round. As we think about this idea of repentance, and we think about this idea of abundant life, remember that repentance is admitting our sin, feeling sorry for our sin, and turning from our sin. And this abundant life that we have is victory in this world. And that's not in the sense of physical blessings and a uh, name it and claim it type um, gospel. It's in the sense of in this world, there will be trouble, but you have victory because of Christ. And as we close, Paul finishes out this, this passage um, with these verses. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 19 is what the, the kids are learning for their memory verse this morning. For as the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The many, in Adam's case, is all of us. Because we, we come from him. And the many in the, in the sense of what Christ has done is for those, the many who have put their faith in Christ and trusted in him. If you are here this morning and you've never received this free gift, you can call out to him in repentance. Confessing that only Jesus Christ can save you from your sins. And I encourage you to talk to me or to someone else afterwards about that. And church family, this Christmas time, I want you to think about this. If this passage is true and how dark the world is without Christ and how all the amazing blessings that we have in Christ, why do we get so angry when the world acts like the world? We get angry with the world, with people. They don't understand this righteousness of God, this redemption of sin, this etern abundant and eternal life. They need Jesus. When we are challenged by, confronted by the sin of this fallen world, we need to prayerfully and biblically proclaim the name of Jesus. Proclaim the name of Jesus, not our own selfish desires and what we want, but the name of Jesus the very necessary gift. It's not the responsibility of TV shows, movies, stores, or corporations to proclaim the name of Jesus this Christmas time. It's the responsibility of the church every day to go into all the world and 
proclaim the name of Jesus. I love Christmas time. Not because of the snow and the Christmas decorations. I love it because, as I said at the beginning, because of Advent. But I also love it because once I was a sinner, separated from God, unable to live the life I was meant to live, hopeless. And now, I was, I, then I was saved, given a righteousness of God, forgiven of all my sins. And the result is eternal life, a right relationship with God. If this truth of Christmas doesn't change the way you parent, the way you work, the way you relate to others around a holiday dinner table, at work, or anything, I don't think you really understand what Christmas is about. I know this message was slightly different than maybe Christmas messages that you're used to. Hearing about the story of the manger and all of the, the characters. But it's a behind-the-scenes look at why we need Christmas. Why we need Jesus. Church, remember that. We need Jesus each and every day in everything. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for what we have in Christ. Thank you for uh, just the amazing gift that we have the forgiveness of all of our sins, the abundant life, the victory over death and sin that we have in Christ. And I pray that we as a church family would live that out for your honor and your glory, not just at this time of the year, but year round. And God, I just once again want to pray for those in this room that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that they would understand the importance, the darkness of this, their sin and the importance of Jesus Christ as our Savior. And God, I just want to pray all of these things in the precious, amazing, life-changing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Merry Christmas, and go from here and proclaim the name of Jesus.